My goodness. It's not even Easter yet, and we're celebrating it already. How many of you know it's Resurrection Sunday every Sunday? Every day we celebrate His life. Amen. Looking forward to next week. Well, we have our guest with us this morning. His name is Avi Snyder. He is a veteran missionary and director of the European Work for Jews for Jesus. If you're not familiar with Jews for Jesus, it's a missions organization on the forefront of Jewish evangelism. The ministry is reaching Jews, Jewish people for their Messiah in 14 countries and 26 cities. Avi Snyder pioneered Jews for Jesus ministry in the former Soviet Union before launching works in both Germany and Hungary. Avi received his theological training at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he and his wife Ruth live in Budapest, Hungary, and they have three grown children, Leah, Joel, and Liz. Would you please put your hands together and welcome this morning Avi Snyder. No, 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 no. God bless you. No, don't applaud, don't applaud. I might be a terrible person. <laughs> Shalom. Oh, you know how to make a nice Jewish boy feel like he's right at home. I do feel very much at home. I want to thank Pastor Walt for inviting me to come back. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank the Lord for bringing us together. Um, I was here a couple of years ago on a Wednesday night. How many of you were, were any of you there when I was here? Okay, am I any taller? No, just older, right? <laughs> well, it is a joy. How many of you have heard something of the ministry of Jews for Jesus before? Well, then I'll go home. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll run into someone who'll say something like, um, Jews for Jesus? How long has that been going on? And I usually say, oh, about 2,000 years. Amen. <laughs> People forget that all of the first Christians were us Jews. People forget that all of the first missionaries were us Jews. That's who and what we Jews for Jesus are. We are missionaries. Uh, Pastor Walt mentioned, we started, well, I mentioned, we started about um, 40 years ago in the States. Now, by God's grace, we have workers in, in 14 countries around the world. Um, rather than try to explain to you who we are, I want to show you a quick four-minute clip uh, so that you can get a, a glimpse of who we are. Let me show you a video. This is an outreach that we had in Germany a few years ago. Um, the words on our shirts say Juden for Jesus. That's Jews for Jesus in German. That's really all the German that you need to know to follow the clip. What I want you to appreciate is this. You will see Jews on the streets of Germany proclaiming the gospel to Jews, to Germans, and to Muslims. What a, what a statement of the reconciling power of the cross of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was the burden of the Apostle Paul. That's our burden. I hope it will become your burden as well. Later on, I'll give you an update about things that are happening in Europe so that you can be praying for us. But right now, let me launch into the information that I hope you're eager to see. I'm eager to share it with you. It's called Christ in the Passover. Let's start with Scripture. It's always a good place to start. If you have a Bible with you, you know, I was told recently you can't say open your Bible anymore. You have to say turn on your Bible. Well, <laughs> if you have a Bible with you, access your Bible <laughs> to the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. We'll read just a couple of verses. Luke 22, beginning of verse 7, we read the following. It says, then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, 
go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Then in verse 13, we read, and they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. The first night of Passover starts a seven-day holiday that we call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, we will eat nothing that has any leaven or yeast. Why not? Why no leaven? Well, throughout the scriptures, leaven is often used as a symbol for sin. See, in ancient times, a little bit of leaven was used to ferment the entire portion of dough. It was the leaven that caused the dough to rise, to become puffed up. Just like sin causes each one of us to become puffed up in our own eyes. So during this time, we don't eat any leaven. It's a way of saying, I want to break this daily sin cycle in my life. Now, my ancestors were told to eat the very first Passover with our loins girded, our sandals on our feet, our staves in our hands. In other words, <laughs> ready to go at a moment's notice. But now at Passover, well, now we relax. We recline on pillows. You see, in ancient Mideastern societies, only the free could recline at dinner. Well, only the redeemed. Listen for that word, redeemed, redemption. You're going to hear a lot this morning about redemption some of it will startle you. Now, at Passover, the head of the house might wear a special ceremonial garment like this one. It's called a kittle. White is the color of royalty and purity in Jewish tradition. You might know that Jewish men often cover their heads as a sign of respect before God. But at Passover, instead of wearing the usual head covering or kippah, the head of the house might wear something a little more elaborate. You ready? Okay. What do you think? <laughs> Royal robes and the symbol of a crown because at Passover, the head of the house is like a king. And as a king, he'll guide his family through the traditional Passover Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word. It means order because the Passover follows a very specific order of service. And that order is recorded in this book. It's called the Haggadah, which means the telling. Okay, we're just about ready to start. Passover begins with the lighting of candles. This is usually the duty and the honor of the woman of the house. But since my wife is uh, asleep in Budapest right now, well, not quite. I'll take the duty and the honor. But don't worry, then I have a special part for the women. First, we'll see if we can light the candles. That's always the suspenseful part. That's one. And that's two. Now, I would like to ask all of the women, all of the young women, all of the uh, older women, all the women, if you're able, would you stand up for a moment? Because I want you to recite in Hebrew <laughs> the prayer that the woman of the house recites after lighting the candles. I will teach it to you word for word. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Oh, wait for me. <laughs> Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher 
Kidshanu, the Mitzvatov, Visivanu, Lachad, Lich, Ner, Shell, Pesach. Very good. You may be seated. Now, you're all uh, wondering, what did I just say? You said, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe who sanctifies us with thy commandments and has commanded us to light the lights of Passover. Now, I think it's very, very fitting that a woman lights these lights. You see, it reminds me of the promise of God that the Messiah, the light of the world, would not come from the seed of man, but from the seed of woman and by the will of God. As Isaiah foretold, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She shall call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel. A light to light the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, during the meal, each adult would drink from his cup and then refill his cup four times. The first time we drink, it's called the Kiddush cup. That means the cup of sanctification. Second time, it's called the cup of plagues. Then the third time we drink, it's called the cup of redemption. There's that word again. This is the focal point of the whole evening. We'll come back to this. Then the last time we drink, it's called the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. Now, it's with the first cup, the cup of sanctification, that the host offers a blessing for everything else that follows. Holding the Kiddush cup aloft, he offers praise and thanks to God Almighty, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Baruch atagonai lohenu melech haolam Borei pariha gohofen Ohohomein The service has begun. And a child comes forward to ask the meaning of Passover. The child will ask the traditional four questions. They're found in the Haggadah. They're chanted. They begin like this. Ma nishtana halala hazehem ikohol haleilohot which means, why is this night different from all other nights? And those of us who know explain, this is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Everywhere you look, redeemed, redeemed, redemption is the heart of Passover. But you know, Passover tells us more than God's message of redemption. Passover tells us God's means, his method of redemption through the sacrifice of a spotless lamb of God. My ancestors were told to take a spotless lamb, to roast it whole without breaking any of its bones and to apply the blood of the lambs to the doorposts of our homes, to the top, to the lintel, and then to the two side posts. Now, because of our obedience to God's command, because of our faith in the effectiveness of God's provision, we were spared the ravages of the 10th plague that fell on the land of Egypt. Death, slaying of the firstborn. Let me ask you a question. According to the scripture, death is God's judgment for what? Sin. Now, if you remember, we Jews were automatically exempt from the first nine plagues. We didn't have to do anything to be saved from the first nine. But nobody was automatically exempt from the tenth plague. Why not? All have sinned. 
Solomon wrote there's not a just man on earth who does good, but who does not sin. Everybody was guilty that night. Jews, Egyptians, but God in his mercy told us what to do to be physically safe. He said, put the blood on the door. The blood will be a sign. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague, no judgment will come in to destroy you. Now, what a mighty act of redemption. But what a picture of a greater redemption through the sacrifice of another Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah Yeshua, the Messiah Jesus. Do you see any of the parallels yet? Listen, just as none of the bones of the first Passover lambs were broken, none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death. And just as my ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of the lambs to the doorposts of our homes, every one of us must apply in faith the blood of the Messiah to the doorposts of our hearts. If we take that step of faith, then we are spiritually redeemed and no Judgment will come in to destroy us. Or, you know what? We could just ignore the message. We could decide that we're too smart. We're too sophisticated. We're too important. And then we face the judgment that our sins deserve. And we won't be able to stand before the Lord and say, Oh, gee, I didn't know. Nobody told me. We were told. We were told this morning. That's the gospel. The child asks another question. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread, which is called matzah? We explained that our ancestors in their haste to leave Egypt had to take the bread with them while it was still flat. Can you see this? You see this? This is called a matzah tash. Now, inside are three layers of unleavened bread, three layers of matzah. At Passover, we will remove only the middle matzah. We break it in two. We set part of it aside. We give the other part a special name. This is called the afikomen. Would you like to try to say that with me? Very good. You all speak Greek. <laughs> That's not a Hebrew word. It's a Greek word. And it means that which comes later. That's what happens. We don't eat it yet. It comes later after the meal. But for the moment, we wrap it up in a cloth or a special bag like this. And we hide it. We bury it from sight from all of the children. Now, later on, after the meal, the children are sent out searching for the buried, the hidden afikoman. One of them must find it and bring it back to the head of the house. Or else we can't get out of here. The child asks another question. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs instead of all kinds of herbs? Why on this night do we dip our food in salt water two times? Why on this night do we recline when we eat? Well, the reclining I explained. But what about eating only bitter herbs? What about dipping our food in salt water? Well, I'll explain by showing you this. This is called a Seder plate. And despite its appearance, it is not used for deviled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> a 
a symbolic piece of food is placed into each of these compartments and all the foods help us tell the story of Passover, of redemption. The first food item, for example, is this one. It's called carpus, greens. The greens represent life. And before we eat them, we dip them into salt water, which represents tears. So by dipping, we're reminded that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. But probably the strangest item found on the Seder plate is this one. It's called zeroa. It's the shank bone taken from a lamb. Passover is also called the feast of the Passover lamb. But today in Jewish homes at Passover, lamb will not be served. Here's the reason. The lambs that we used to eat at Passover were the Passover sacrifices. But what happened in the year 70 AD? Anybody know? Right, the temple was destroyed. The whole city of Jerusalem was destroyed, including the temple, including the altar. That was the only place where the sacrifices could be performed. There have been no sacrifices for almost 2,000 years. But this bone reminds us of those ancient sacrifices that we can no longer perform. And this raises a very important question. With no temple, with no altar, with no sacrifice... How can we be redeemed? What are we supposed to do? Be nice people, live good lives, try to keep the law of Moses. <laughs> do you know what the law of Moses says about redemption and atonement? The law of Moses says, I have given you the altar to make an atonement. It is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. In other words, according to the law of Moses, no blood, no atonement. We have a problem. With no temple, with no altar, with no sacrifice. How is redemption even possible with no Lamb of God? How? Well, nearly 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish man named Yochanan. Do you know him as John, John the Baptist? And one day he was baptizing people and he noticed another Jewish man, his cousin, a man named Yeshua. You call him Jesus. And Yochanan said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how we're redeemed. Not through the blood of lambs. In fact, never through the blood of lambs. Do you understand that? Those lambs were never given, those sacrifices were never given to us to save us, but to teach us the gospel message. My ancestors were saved, were redeemed from their sins when they looked forward in faith to the Lamb of God who would die for our sins and rise from the dead. You and I are saved when we look back in faith to the Lamb of God who died for our sins and who rose from the dead. But in history, there has always been only one Lamb of God. There's always been only one way of salvation. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. It's time for the second cup. The cup of plagues 
You know, Passover is a night of rejoicing, and a full cup is a symbol of complete joy. But at Passover, our joy is not complete. We diminish the contents of this cup as we recite the names of each of the plagues that fell on the land of Egypt. There's an important lesson in this cup for you and for me. Why did the plagues fall on Egypt? Because Pharaoh said no to God. He was repeatedly told God's will on a particular issue. He couldn't claim ignorance. He couldn't say, gee, I never got the memo. He got the memo. He got the memo ten times. But he decided that he was too important, too powerful, too intelligent to listen. He said, why should I listen to this God of the Hebrews? And as a result, he brought death and destruction, not only upon his land, he brought it into his home. The night of Passover, Pharaoh's firstborn died because Pharaoh said no to God. Do not blame God. God warned this man ten times. Ten times. That's called grace. Do you see the lesson for us? Pharaoh was a pagan. What about those of us who profess to believe and to follow Jesus? Yet how often do we deliberately, not accidentally, deliberately say no to what God is telling us to do? We will know his will for our lives. We got the memo. We got a whole book of memos. But how often do we say, well, (laughs) I don't like that part. God will understand. God will understand that we're saying no. Let me give you a little bit of Jewish wisdom, okay? When you know that God is telling you to do something, it's usually a pretty good idea to do it. The cup of plagues. But as I said, Passover is a night of rejoicing. Now at Passover, I rejoice, I praise, I thank God. Not only because the angel of death passed over my ancestors' homes, not only because I've been redeemed from the land of Egypt, but because I've been redeemed from an even greater bondage through my faith in the Messiah Yeshua, the Messiah Jesus. Through him and only through him, each one of us may pass over from death to life. Well, at this point in the service, the cups are set aside, the table is cleared, and a feast is served. I'm not serving you the feast. (laughs) But um, I would like to whet your appetite in a different way before I conclude and show you how these elements point very specifically to Jesus. I'd like to give you an update on the work of Jews for Jesus, especially in Europe, so that you'll know how to pray for us. In fact, let me take you through an ancient Jews for Jesus tradition. This is called the tradition of tearing the card. As you came in, you should have received one of these uh, cards. Would you uh, take it out? If you didn't get one, would you slip up your hand? I'm sure there are some more. Anybody need one? Oh, my goodness. Maybe the ushers could... uh, Get a card into those raised hands. Thanks. For those of you waiting for your cards, for those of you who have your cards, let me explain the tradition. There's a perforated line on the card. Don't tear the card. That's the tradition. We're going to tear the card together in unison on the count of three. So get your card good and limber. 
Here we go. You ready? One, two, three. It's four, five, six. It's all right. <laughs> Take a look at uh, this smaller part of the card. This is for you to keep. I'd like to ask you to keep it as a prayer reminder. In a moment, I'll tell you some things that I want you to be praying about for the work of Jews for Jesus. But look at this, would you? This is the larger part of the card. This is for you to give back to me, to place into the offering at the end of the service when it's taken. This is my way of staying in touch with you. I want to send you our free Jews for Jesus newsletter. I have a very selfish reason. I want your prayers. I think that as you read the newsletter, as you read about the ways in which God is using the ministry globally, I think you will be provoked to keep us in prayer. If you're already getting the newsletter, would you fill it out anyway? I won't send you two newsletters. But this way we can double check the database to make sure that we have the right information. While you're filling this out, let me give you a quick update. A few years ago, in Europe, we started an ongoing evangelistic project. We call it Life from the Dead. There's so many cities in Europe where our history is so dark, so tragic. Berlin, Budapest, where I now live, Odessa, where I lived before, Moscow, where I lived, Krakow, Bucharest, so many cities, cities where we died. We Jews for Jesus feel that we have a moral obligation to return to the cities where we died, proclaiming God's message of life. That's life from the dead. And when we show up on these cities, wearing our shirts and jackets, declaring who we are and who we are for, handing out our literature, engaging everybody with the gospel. No one can ignore us. No one can turn a deaf ear. No one can turn a blind eye. I'm not saying they like us. Listen, we're Jews. We don't expect people to like us. The point is they notice us and they interact with us and they hear the gospel. That's life from the dead. This, this summer, we will have uh, major outreaches in the following cities. Berlin, Budapest, Moscow, St. Petersburg, Odessa, Zurich, London, and Paris. You may have seen in the news, anti-Semitism is very much on the rise in Europe. Some people have said, oh, well, we need to tone it down. No, we need to rev it up. I've told my colleagues, we need to be the most findable Jews in Europe. Because if we can't be out there in the dangerous places proclaiming the gospel boldly, regardless of the consequences and regardless of the risks, then what difference does Jesus make? So I'd like you to remember to pray for these campaigns. You can write that word campaign down on the little card and keep that. In fact, I'll tell you what. If, um, if you'd like to receive an occasional, very occasional, short email from me when the campaigns are actually taking place, just so that you'll know what to pray for specifically while the campaigns are happening, why don't you write the word campaign on the larger part of the card somewhere as well? And I'll put you on a special email list. There's another way that you can stand with us. Let me help you. I've brought some literature. It's uh, on a resource table outside in the hallway. 
The final way that you can stand with us is financially. There'll be an opportunity to give to Jews for Jesus at the end of the service. Let me tell you why you should not give. Please do not give to Jews for Jesus from your tithes. Your tithe goes to your home church. Any gift that you give to any ministry should always be other than your tithe. Here's another reason not to give. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, please do not give financially to Jews for Jesus. What's the matter? Isn't my money good enough for you? No. (laughs) It's not. Listen, God doesn't want your money for his work. God wants your life for his work. He has a greater gift for you first. It's the gift of eternal life. It's the gift gift of the forgiveness of your sins. Why would you not want that gift? Anyway, whether you give a gift or not, fill out that larger card. Put that into the offering so I can stay in touch with you, all right? Join us in the adventure (laughs) of Jews for Jesus. Well, after the meal comes the third cup, the cup of redemption. Do you remember earlier I said that this is the focal point of the whole evening? Do you remember that? Yeah? You don't remember that? You do remember that. Okay. (laughs) Well, we have a problem. We can't drink this cup just yet. Because something that was earlier broken and then buried now needs to be brought back. Who remembers what it was called? Very good. The Afikoman. So this is the point. All the children are sent out searching for the buried Afikoman. One of them finally finds it and brings it back to the head of the house. And then the head of the house must redeem the afikoman. In other words, he has to buy it back. That's what redemption means. Earlier I said I would tell you some things about redemption that would startle you. Here comes the startling part. Most of us who are Western born, either in North America or in Western Europe, we really have a deficient understanding of the biblical concept of redemption. I was raised to believe that redemption means free. It doesn't really mean free. It means freed from a previous owner, but you are still owned. You just have a new owner. You're still owned. And that's what redemption means. And when we sing the songs and say the phrases, I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, we're talking about the fact that he owns us. And the only reason that we live and breathe and have our being is to do his will, not ours, regardless of the cost, regardless of how inconvenient it is. Property has no rights. Property has no agenda. The master has the agenda and the rights. The good news is that we have the privilege of being owned by the greatest owner in the universe, the creator of the universe. He is merciful. He is loving. He is righteous. He is holy. He is perfect. He is good. And he gives us the privilege To join him in his labors, not for our benefit, but to bring glory and honor to his name. That's what redemption means. And so the head of the house redeems the Afikoman. And he usually pays a high price to teach the child that redemption costs the purchaser. And then it's taken out and it's broken again. 
into smaller pieces about the size of an olive. The smaller piece is then taken with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does this look vaguely familiar? (laughs) It should. This is the origin of the communion service. This is where it began. Now think with me. Where can we find a clearer picture of the Messiah Jesus than in this tradition concerning the Afikoman, which has been broken, buried, and now brought back? Even the matzah, which is unleavened, a symbol of a sinless nature, speaks of Jesus. You know, in order for this matzah to be suitable for use, it has to be striped. Jesus was striped. Isaiah wrote, with his stripes were healed. Also, in its preparation, to make sure that it doesn't rise, the matzah is pierced. Jesus was pierced. God, speaking through Zechariah, foretold, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. I see the Messiah here in the Afikoman. I see him here in the Matzatash. Do you remember the pouch? Three layers of unleavened bread. Now, traditionally, the three layers are thought to form a unity. The problem is there's disagreement about the meaning of this strange unity, this mysterious three in one. Some teach that maybe the matzahs represent the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then why is only the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Nobody knows. Well, I know. Three layers forming a unity, a triunity, a trinity. In Hebrew, a word that can mean this kind of a unity is the word echad. It makes me think of what God said to us through Moses. He said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the word that God used for one in that sentence is the word Echad, which may mean a unity. And a Passover, the head of the house, removes only the middle, the second matzah of this echad, this unity. It's broken. It's buried. It's later brought back. It's made visible. It's handled by us. While the other two are never seen, but we know they're there. Now, what did John say in the beginning of his gospel? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Then what happened? The Word became flesh became visible, dwelt among us, was handled by us, John says. We Jews who know the Messiah know the unity of the Matzatash bears witness to the unity of one God revealed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Because Jesus was broken, buried, and then brought back. He lifted the afikoman. And he said, this is my body, broken, given for you and you and all of us. You do this in remembrance of me. Now it's time for the third cup, the cup of redemption. The fruit of the vine at Passover is red to remind us of the blood of the first Passover lambs. Those lambs were sacrificed to redeem us, to buy us back from our bondage to Pharaoh. In the same way... The blood of another Passover lamb, Jesus, 
was sacrificed to redeem us, to buy us back from our bondage to sin and death. The scripture says, after the meal, he took the cup. Which cup? The cup after the meal. Which cup is that? The third cup. Which cup is that? The cup of redemption. He deliberately singled out the cup of redemption and he said, this cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The very new covenant that God promised to us. When he spoke through Jeremiah, he said, days are coming. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. After those days, I'll put my law within them. And on their hearts, I will write it. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Cup of redemption. The broken afikomen. Traditionally, we take them together in remembrance of the blood and the bodies of the first Passover lambs. My Passover lamb is Jesus. And then the last cup, the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. <laughs> I want to teach you a very difficult Hebrew word. Now listen carefully. I'm going to say it once, and then you have to repeat it after me. But I'm warning you, it's a very difficult word. So listen carefully. You ready? Hallelujah. There you go. Now you're all Hebrew scholars. <laughs> Hallelujah is a Hebrew word. It means praise the Lord. The first cup, the first part of that word is Hallel. Hallel means praise. This is the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. Oh, but there's a final cup. I didn't tell you about it. This one. The cup of Elijah. Nobody drinks from this cup. In fact, in many Jewish homes at Passover, you'll find not just a cup, you'll find a chair, you'll find a pillow, you'll find a place setting, all for the prophet Elijah. Why? Well, it's recorded in Malachi that before the Messiah comes, he'll be preceded by the return of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. So at the end of the service, the end of the Seder meal, a child would go to the door and open it wide hoping that the prophet will come and will enter the home and will announce the coming of Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David. When I was a boy growing up, my sister and I would go to the door together and we would come back to the table and we would stare at Elijah's cup because my father taught us that if we saw the contents of the cup disappear and then reappear in the flash of an eye, that would mean that Elijah had come, he had drunk from the cup, he'd refilled the cup, and he'd gone out. So we'd open the door and we'd come back to the table and we would stare at the cup. And after a moment, my father would say, did you see him? We'd say no. And my father would say, maybe he'll come next year. Listen to me. 
Elijah has returned. When Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, he said of him, if you will receive it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. The forerunner has come, the Messiah has come, and he's coming again soon. I told you earlier that there are four traditional questions at Passover. You know, there's a fifth question that we could ask at Passover. The question is, have you by faith applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorposts of your heart? If you have, if you've taken that step of faith, then hallelujah, you have been redeemed. And no judgment will come in to destroy you. But if you haven't taken that step of faith, if all you've done all your life is listen to the information, but you've never taken that step of faith, what can I say? What can I say? Pharaoh listened. Pharaoh understood. It didn't do him any good. Why not? No step of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Have you, by faith, applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorposts of your heart? Let's pray. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we thank you so much for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want everybody to keep your eyes closed for a moment, please. If you know that there's never been a time in your life when you have repented of your sins and asked Jesus to redeem you and have committed your life to him, if you know that you have never taken that step of faith, then I invite you to do that this morning. I'm going to say a very simple prayer with my lips. If you know that you have never before committed your life to Jesus, why don't you say this prayer silently with your heart? Jesus, I know that my life does not please you. I know that I deserve your judgment. But I believe that you died as the payment for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Please forgive me. Please redeem me. From now on, I will openly follow you. Keep your eyes closed just a moment longer. If you just said that prayer in your heart, and this is the first time that you are making a commitment to follow Jesus, would you slip up your hand? Don't be ashamed and don't be afraid. Just raise your hand if you said that prayer. God bless you. Anybody else? Don't be afraid and don't be ashamed. And if you said that prayer and if you're raising your hand, please don't disappear after the service, okay? 
speak with me, speak with Pastor Walt, speak with one of the elders here, speak with someone whom you know and trust. Let us encourage you. Let us pray with you. You've just made the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. Thank you, Father, so much for your mercy and for your grace. Thank you most of all for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.